Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Did you get a letter this morning? Has the postman been yet? Did you get a letter from the taxman? Are they looking for money back off yet? Don't panic because there's no one coming down the drive to look for that money yet. There's no one going to come looking for that money for a long time. There is no one going to start taking money off you right now that you don't have. Later on this morning, we will have an expert to go through exactly what is happening for people who are on or were on a PUP. Why are you getting letters from the taxman? How much money do they want back from you? How do you give it to them? And when are they going to want it? You're, you're going to have quite some time, actually, to give back this, this bit of money. So don't worry. If the letter came in this morning, obviously open it, read it, Think about it, but don't panic. That's the first thing to, to tell you. Do not panic. They're not going to come looking for that money today. We'll uh, mention later on uh, this morning, it's all over the sports news and rightly so. And indeed, it's one of those days when sport becomes news. The, the passing of the great Eamon Ryan. What an incredible guy he was. Twelve years he was in charge of the ladies footballers. Ten All-Irelands and nine of them in a row. Uh, remarkable career. And a remarkable guy, and we'll pay tribute to him later on this morning. If you have any particular memories, uh, do feel free to give us a call at 1850-715-996. Also, children with additional needs, it looks as if they're going to have a go anyway at getting them back to school next Thursday or thereabouts. Wonder is it going to work out? Can they do it? Uh, we'll check in on that. During the morning, 1850-715-996, the number, the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email for the show, opinion at 96fm.ie. I want to start off this morning by reading you something that has come into us in the last couple of days in response to the Besbra and the mother and baby homes in general. And you'll remember that we've talked to quite a number of people in the last couple of days in particular yesterday, Noel, who voiced it really clearly. And also we spoke to um, to, to Sharon uh, from the Adoption Stories book and television show about adopted people wanting their rights, wanting their information, wanting to be able to find out from whence they came, from whom gave them birth. And they want the right to get that information, just like you or I can get it. You can get your birth search, you can get anything like that. They want that right. Now, Ursula contacted the show, and Fergal was on the phone to her for a wee while. She was adopted from Sean Ross Abbey, and she called in because she thinks that there's a slant towards the negative in the coverage everywhere in the last few days. Now, when you're adopted, she said, it's like being in a witness protection program. You get a new life and a fresh start. And it's a great chance. The parents who sign up for adoption are highly motivated to give their children a good life. And we're very grateful to them. 
There are horrible stories of all kinds about adoptive parents, and they're really, really important stories to be told. But Ursula says these are a tiny, tiny majority. The vast majority, she said, of parents who adopt are super people, and they go above and beyond. I think, she says, people who were not adopted have a very different opinion to those who are adopted. People who are not adopted think there's an overwhelming urge to find your parent and create a mother-child relationship. Well, I have to tell you, she said, there's two camps among us adoptees. Some do want to trace their parents and start a relationship again. It's different type of relationship, though, when it does start. People in their 50s have developed as an adult differently, and the children were brought up differently. Other people are happy with their new life, people like me. I would like to know my mother's identity, but I don't want to form a relationship. Many of the mums that gave kids up did so precisely so they could restart their lives. They have moved on, or they did give did it to give their child a stable background. I think 80% of adoptees are happy with the situation. I'm not trying to deny any voice to those who had a bad time, but I really think the view of the majority should be out there too. Well, that's a, a point, and it's an opinion, that I've heard more than once in my many years connected with this kind of thing. But there's a point in there that, that Ursula makes where she says that uh, people, she, she said some want to trace their parents and start a relationship. And then she goes on to say that, that I would like to know my mother's identity, but I do not want to form a relationship. But you see, Ursula, therein lies the thing. You want to know your mother's identity. Presently, you're not entitled to know your mother's identity. And since time immemorial, and this is the whole thing, you're not allowed to know who your mother is or was. And the campaign to open files and the campaign to release information and the things that the likes of Noel were speaking about yesterday on the opinion line is exactly the same for you as it is for them. You may wish to go, you may not wish to go further with the information, but many others do. It's the right to get it that they want. But Ursula, your, your views are extremely valid and I thank you for them. 1850-715-996. Now, we'll be looking at the COVID numbers later and we'll be talking to an epidemiologist who says it's so important that we don't open up too fast. The numbers are starting very, very gently, gradually to turn a bit. But it's so important that we don't op- open up too fast. I will get to that a little bit later on. But as lockdown continues, and this is our third one, uh, concerns been expressed that the thousands of people over the age of 70 in Cork City and County are really, really struggling. And their voice, of course, is Mr. Paddy O'Brien. Paddy, good morning to you. Good, good morning to you, Jane. Lovely to talk to you again. I, I know you Thank haven't you. been well, my friend. I trust you're on the mend. I'm great again. Thank God. Thank God for that, yeah. Good man. Now, we are in our third lockdown. It's it's a hard time for the elderly. They're lonely as it is, many of them. Uh, yeah. This makes it even lonelier. This, it, it's much more difficult for them at this particular time for the simple reason that it was all new last March when it was announced. And then we went to March, April and May and the weather was fine and the days were long. 
But now it's cold and it's wet and it's miserable and the figures are very, very high and every news bulletin, it's all bad news, bad news. And we have the elderly people listen to this. And quite honestly, I, I've, met, I've just spoken up to people who are on the phone and they are depressed. They're lonely. They're sad. Why? Because this is a brand new life and they can't cope. They cannot cope. I, I speak to people on the phone who would get up in the morning and maybe go down to the local shop on the way back, speak to one of the neighbours, uh, do a few jobs around the house, maybe in the afternoon go off walking into the community centre, go to an afternoon bingo, go down to the daycare centre. That has all been taken away from them. It has Now, I'm not saying this should be there because I appreciate I, I appreciate that everybody has a very, very important role to play here. But I'm genuinely and sincerely concerned about what the elderly people are experiencing at the moment. I think they're going to have major problems. I think that I spoke I spoke um, to Peter Graham there during the week at the economy was telling her that there are th- just over 13,000 people in the city and the county living alone. And um, I feel a lot of them are abandoned. And I think that we must and we should have some system where we're organised by the health board that people, not just the not neighbours, but um, people in the health board will call to see are they all right. Uh, many of these people are on medication. Um, have they got the medication? Have they adequate eating? Have they got adequate food? And um, there is a major problem there again. I leave the haste to see for the moment come back to neighbours. Neighbours have an important role to play as as well. As well. And that is I know that the people don't want to knock on doors and have any conversation, but I would say a simple thing like knock on the window and note in the letter box. Try and get the number of an elderly people living in your area. You can mm-hmm. phone them every day. Because um I, I spoke to a lady recently and she went for four days. Four days without speaking to anyone. I mean, that's torture in itself. And she said, I'm like a prisoner in my own home. And when, when she said that, I think she's uh, uh, endorsing the sentiments expressed by other people as well. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, what, they're, what they're suffering at the moment is just absolutely incredible. I'm not blaming anyone for this. I'm not blaming I don't. I'm not saying that Michael Mark must come around and change all the rules. And I no, no. The rules they brought in, we must all adhere to them. But I think that um, I would say to the HSA, that I, I think that we have to pay a little more attention as well to this people, to the senior citizens, to the elderly yeah. people, to the aged who are at home. We have a lot of talk about the people who are nursing homes, but equally we want care and attention as well for yeah. the elderly sick who are housebound. You, you, you mentioned there, Paddy, four days, someone four days without speaking t- to anybody. Yeah. Now, wh- when you think about it, in normal times, that person may be able to pop around to the corner shop, get the bottle of milk and the paper, chat to someone at the counter, meet someone on the road, stand in and chat for a minute or two. Those little chats are gone and those little chats are all that pe- that person has because they may well be alone in the world. Like, like that, that, is, that is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And I mean, I, I, I thought that seriously about the fact of speaking out publicly about this about the situation and i'm not i'm not looking for any special attention for the elderly but i think that we have to adjust a, a little more i think the elderly feel that they're abandoned 
they are abandoned. They feel uh, their church, their somebody up in the morning, go to mass, and they meet friends outside. Some you, some people use the mass as a social outlet after mass, have a chat with the neighbours. That's even midweek. But you're, yeah, you're how right. Much, how much Paddy are they? Because I have spoken, I spoke memorably to one woman back in November time. Um, and she said that she, she picked up her mom every morning. Her mom is in her early 80s. She picked her up every morning, and they went to Mass together, and they yeah, did yeah, a couple yeah, of yeah. messages together afterwards. Yeah. But now Mass is gone, and she said, yes, I can go over to my mom, and we can get Mass on the computer. But it just is not the same. A big chunk. We don't, we don't realise, do we, Paddy, how big the going to Mass is in the lives of some of our elderly friends. Exactly. It's very, very, very important. I'm not uh, showing any disrespect for the Mass when I say that many people would use the Mass as a social outlet. They'd meet mm. their neighbours, they'd sit in the same seat, and this is every day. The people who go to Mass on, on, on a, 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 day, a daily basis. And mm. I think that um, I, I, my, my heart really, and I'm speaking now genuinely sincere about this, my heart was out with the elderly people who are living, those who are living alone, those who are elderly, those people who are trying to uh, administer their own medication. And I think it's a miracle. I think it's a miracle that we didn't have any fatalities in relation to the, to, to the elderly people. The elderly, loneliness, yeah. The loneliness is, the loneliness is like one of the conventional diseases that kills people. And that's not my quote, that's a quote from the medical, medical profession. Loneliness is a desperate thing. Loneliness is awful. You just can't just sit with her, so forget about it, slap over it. No. Just thinking about people in their 70, 60, 70, 80s, 90s, and over 100 mm. who are in this brand new life, everything is taken away from them. They're, they're, they're called from the neighbours. Uh, one lady told me that the postman calls to the house. He doesn't even want to chat. Nobody wants to speak anymore, and it can be a very, very serious situation at this point, this point in time. Yeah, it can really break down an elderly person's uh, <laughs> mental resolve. We meet these wonderful people, Paddy. You know them, wonderful people in their seventies, eighties, into their nineties, and you look at them and you go, "If I have half your energy and I'm half as bright as you when I'm half your age," uh, but that that spark. That spark has been quenched a little bit by this, isn't you, it? You, you, you are, you're right. And they've, they've, a lot of them have aged in the last 12 months as a direct result of the awful um, anxiety on them over every day, the depression every day, the loneliness and the sadness of the new life. They've aged. They have aged. And I'm not making, as they said, there's no point in coping up or anything. It's the elderly are suffering. And the, the people there's I would normally ring over the telephone. They're full of life. They're joking. No, no problems whatsoever. Mm. That is all. That is all changed. It's like the sparkle in their life seems to have diminished. Has simply gone over their lives completely. And that was the reason I spoke of publicly to Peter Graham at the Echo during the week, and I said, "Listen, look, this is the situation. I think um, the people are suffering." I suppose in the situation in which we're at, we are, Paddy, uh, while we're saying all these things and they're all true, the elderly are the one, one cohort of society that we must mind 
more than most. They have to be minded. They have to be protected from this this awful virus because it has killed hundreds of them already and made hundreds more very, very sick. So how how do we combine that protection with still not letting them get lonely? Well, I suppose the, mo- the most important thing I, I feel as a lay person with no medical background whatsoever, I think it's very important that we have sort of our, 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 on the telephone, keeping contact with a person, just speaking to a person. And I know they can knock on the door and go off into the person's house, but they can knock on the door or knock on the window and have it through the conversation, have a conversation or um, try and exchange telephone numbers. I mean, you want to avoid this people going on for days and days without having any contact with anyone. I think that we, we can do this. Neighbours can do it. If you're living in an area where there are elderly people, don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed and say, I can't with that. I think you're only performing what I would call an act of charity by knocking at the window and saying, my name is Mary or my name is Johnny. I live down the street. You want anything from the shop, or just the conversation is vital. It's so important to elderly people. They love the few words. They just love the few words, and that would be a big help. I think that that, that the people I've spoken to over the last two weeks seems to be. I think just the conversation they miss. The conversation they miss mm. uh, with with people that are looking for any special attention, and I think we we can we can do this. The neighbours can do it. That's low, the HSC, the back to the HSC. And I'm asked to try to question myself what can they do to make contact with these people? What can, what, what can they do? Because I think it's important that that contact must be made because every day it's getting more difficult problems. Every day. I mean, as you said yourself, before, they can't go to the shop. Simple thing like going to the local shop having a chat with the person behind the counter talking with the local news. Local news knows that with, with the engineer what's happening in America. It's just what's happening on their own area, their own area. And this is all gone, gone. And a lot of the elderly people who are listening to your programme this morning, I would say I, I would say that um, to, to, to them, please God, this, all, this will all finish soon. Life won't always be this way. Life will return back to normality. The sun is going to shine again for us for, for, for us all. But in, in, in the meantime, um, I think that what they, what they must do, make sure they have enough of food in the house, make sure they have adequate heating. That's vital, vital, vital. People might be embarrassed to ask a neighbour to go to the shop and to get a bottle of milk or no bread or a pound of butter or something. But I think the neighbours have an important role to play. And it goes, it goes without saying that relatives, sons and daughters, have an important role to play as well. A very important role to play. They can't just leave it to neighbours or leave it to one of the organisations. But it's, it's, just, it's just pathetic to speak to people. And you've been speaking to them privately behind the scenes and all that, speaking to them, and you, you know exactly yeah. What, we're, what we're speaking about people in their 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. They know that they have to protect themselves. They know they that must they protect themselves and wouldn't the right But, <clears throat> but this, it's, it's, the, it's the loneliness is really, really getting to people. And I think, again, as you know, at, mm-hmm. at, at a time when I suppose we've been talking about the church this week, Paddy, and, and it's come through this you know, it's very negative light on the church this week for, for, for t- particular reasons. But I think it's important for listeners, and especially for younger people, not to forget that a mass 
or a service is like you said it's a social outlet but it's so that's important right. to our yeah, elders yeah, yeah it is yeah it is yeah it is and that's what that is and even those who go on a weekly basis they go there early they go there early I live in it quite near the church and I see people going up down and they, they down early maybe 20 minutes before time and they love to see people in the church you see people talking in the church and that's lovely talking to yeah. church after they gather outside and they're chatting 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 but all of this, I use the expression, they have been denied of this during the due to the current situation. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking for them. It is heartbreaking Here's an idea that's come in, Paddy, from a caller I, who says, I phone four friends a week. I plan it out. I think you should plan out what you're going to say and do. It makes the calls better and gives you something to do. Also, if a person can learn to use a tablet or a smartphone, it makes all the difference. We have a little group call on Saturday. We find mementos of when we were in school, when we were in work, when we were in the army. Right? Suggesting that we team up with the, with the council, uh, you would maybe, Paddy, and teach the skills and show how to make the most of meetups, be it by, by regular phone or on video. That we try and maybe if people can learn how to use the technology. Exactly, that's really good. And uh, I was speaking to another person during the week, and they said, I'm saying this to the elderly now. They have so much time in their hands at the moment, they should sit down as if they're writing a book and start going back and back as far as you think in your life. It's the first day you went to school and just write a story about your own life. And it's amazing this lady told me she did that bad. She had never had any intentions writing, but she started writing going back to the first day she went to school. Who brought her the teacher's name? The first holiday community camp, all the different things, you know. And she said, "This is taking up some of her life." I, I, I digressed a moment ago when I was to speak to the elderly. I was saying, "Try and keep busy, keep busy, keep keep busy." Like right, I'm saying to elderly directly now from ninety six of them to the elderly people call them. Um, write to people, write write to people. You know, even your person yeah. hasn't seen for, you know, hasn't seen for years. You yourself, the elderly person, you have a contribution to make as well your own life for you to improve your own lifestyle uh, keep try and keep busy keep busy around the house just start up try tidying up drawers and presses and what have you keep the light busy and please God the fine weather will be here with us soon and hopefully if we'll have this situation won't be as serious then as it is now and then that you'll have a little role to play as well go, from the, go, to go out in the garden but in the meantime in the meantime regrettably and I don't want to move away from this but this morning we have people suffering or suffering of a, from a broken heart and it's all coming from one thing that's loneliness and the rest of us Paddy finally those of us who are thankfully uh, younger at least or young, fit and healthy, how can we help? As the ordinary listeners to this programme, how can they help? Well, I think, I, I think people should, could, could try and contact the elderly people in their own specific area, in their own street, in their own avenue, in their own park. And they might say, oh, I know Mrs. And Mrs. Murphy or Mrs. McCarthy or Mrs. O'Brien over into the house. And don't, I, I'll speak myself here when I'll say, don't be embarrassed to knock on the door. Um, and just uh, introduce yourself that you're living in the community and can, can you go to the shop with her, can you do something for her and right. try and make if we make the contact and try and break it up on a daily basis and when I, when I say the elderly must, the neighbours must look after the elderly I'm not saying that they must come and live with them no, just contact, contact, contact 
it's important to give the elderly person an opportunity of speaking and talking and uh, at least that way uh, and the person know the person the elderly person would know that someone at least is going to call today and that person could be you and I mean you I'm speaking to both yeah, thousands of people across the country who uh, throughout this county sorry second county we've yeah. just over um, 13,500 elderly people living alone there are just over 4,000 elderly people living in Cork over 70 living alone in Cork City and nine. it's an awful lot of, an awful lot of people that's a lot of people that's a lot yeah, of people yeah, yeah. But that's not if you if you had asked me to guess how many I would not have come anywhere near that. Listen, I'm so delighted, my old friend, to hear that you're well again. And I'm gone again. To the thank work thank God, I went, uh, 2020 Good. wasn't a great year, but thank God, I'm, I'm grand right. again. Thank God, and I want to okay. thank the people called for their mass calls, their prayers, and their phone calls. And everything. Uh, just trying look to at, look after that. yourself, yeah. and we'll talk again I soon. Thanks very much, Pete. Take care. Take care. The legendary Paddy O'Brien, 1850-715-996. Now, there is a service called Friendly Call. We've had them on the opinion line before. You can download their app uh, in the various stores, or you can contact Brenda. Brenda Barry. You can ring 021-4301-700, 4301-700, or there's a mobile, 87 636 6407 or you can email brenda.barry at partnershipcork.ie and they will set you up with a friendly call network and you'll get a call every day or every second day just to see how you are just to chat just to talk about the weather if that's what you want to do we've had them on before and it's a marvelous service and we hear the great reports of just just the ordinary thing that they ring every day at three or four o'clock and they'll chat it could be about the racing it could be about the weather it could be about the the magpies out the garden just to chat Friendly call, Cork. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Just listening back to Paddy, Noreen in Watergrass Hill says, I don't think it applies just to elderly people. It's every age. People are suffering. Every day is like Groundhog Day. Fair point, Noreen. Fair point. But as Paddy said, it's the elderly who are alone in the world uh, to whom it applies most. As in, if you're 60, 68 or 78 or 88 or in your early 90s and you're, you were fit and healthy and you're living alone, you've nobody left, it's, it's harder for those people but thank you for your point just on the whole mass and the point that I was making with Paddy about how important faith and mass and service is to to elderly people and I was saying it in the context of a week in which and quite rightly so elements of the church have come under a dark spotlight in our country and we know the things that happened over the years Uh, and that has been a thing over the years like people say why why have the the church got such a grip on us we have to break away from the church we have to break away from this break away from that that's a valid argument to be had for another day but when you get to a certain point in your life faith becomes hugely important to you so therefore anybody who wants to who says they're missing mass never scoff at them 
Never, ever mock them. Never, ever throw your nose in the air at them because sometimes it's, it's all that they have. John says, PJ, that's a constant attack on the Christian faith now, and I'm fed up with it. We had the RTE sketch on New Year's Eve. Now there's a cohort of people calling for the Angelus to be gone. There was also a comedy program on RTE last night with a sketch about social isolation at Mass. It depicted the priest throwing Holy Communion at the parishioners. Okay, Uh, I don't want to see any religion being mocked, but I'm fed up with this now. There appears to be a constant chipping away at the Christian faith. Thanks, John. 1850-715-996. We are in, as I said with Paddy, and as we now know ourselves, we're in lockdown. We're facing into another weekend of nothing to do. No pubs, no restaurants, no matches, nothing, nothing. Uh, If we can find a good movie on the telly, then that's great. And that's probably what we'll end up doing, most of us. But how long is this going to last? How, when might we get out the other side of this? When might we start to get our lives back? And when will we see the benefit of all of this lockup? When will we see the benefit of staying at home? When will we see the benefit of not going anywhere, not seeing our friends? When will we see the benefit of that? Can we ever get back to the great situation we were in last summer when we almost had this thing licked? Um, Professor Philip Nolan was speaking last night at Neffet's annual uh, or annual weekly uh, press conference, and he said that there is a little bit of cause for optimism now. You can run it there, Wayne. And just to put it in perspective, it's 71,286 new cases confirmed in 14 days. That means almost half, 44% of all the COVID cases we've ever reported have been reported in the last 14 days. It means that one in 67 people in this country have been notified COVID positive in the last 14 days. That just gives us some sense of the scale of the challenge, perhaps even more graphically than the epidemiological curve uh, that's in front of you now. Okay, well, that's Professor Nolan just outlining the figures and how dark they are, and they are dark. They are dark. They are saying, though, that there's the slight evidence out there of, of a, at least a flattening of, of it. Let's look at the Cork numbers, which I like to do on a Monday and on a Friday. And I may tell you now that I've been doing a little bit of a deeper analysis this morning than I normally do. And there is some cause to be hopeful this morning that our numbers are starting to go in the right direction. Uh, on January 15th, which is today, our 14-day figure for Cork City and County I don't need to explain this to you now. I've been doing it for months. The 14-day figure of cases for January 15th is 8,237 in Cork. That's 1,647 per 100,000, which is a very high figure. Go back to last week, January the 8th, that number was 6,028 cases. That's the 14-day figure to last week. Go back to New Year's Day, which is two weeks ago today. And the 14-day figure on New Year's Day was 1,908. Go back to the 1st of December, and this is where it really starts to be very stark. Go back to the 1st of December. The 14-day figure to the 1st of December was 150. 150. 15th of January, 8,237. That is colossal. Colossal. Now... Let's look at what they call the five-day average. This is another calculation that 
uh, Tony Houlihan uses from time to time. Not very often, but when you look at it, there's some good news in it. So over the last five days in Cork, we've had 1,297 new cases. In the five days to Wednesday, we had 2,631. In the five days to last Monday, we had 3,630. In the five days to this day last week, we had 3,816, which means, in basic simple maths, our case numbers in Cork are on a very good downward trend. And that's the point at which I should bring in Professor Patricia Carney, who is at the Department of Epidemiology and Public Health at UCC. Patricia, good morning to you. Hey, good morning. Thanks now, that's for a lot, that's That's a lot of numbers there, but definitely looking at the five-day numbers in Cork, we're starting to show a benefit to, to restricting ourselves. That, that in itself is good news. Yes, I think it is um, good news, and I think we all need a bit of uh, hope at the start of this um, new year. Um, and, you know, we would expect that the measures that have been introduced and that we're all adhering to um, would start to have an impact on the numbers. And it certainly looks, uh, not just in Cork, but nationally, that the numbers are starting to stabilise. As you've already outlined when you've gone through some of the detail there, they're stabilising at quite a high level, you know, and I think that's part of the problem with the numbers is that, you know, back in the summer, if if you'd been talk, talking about thousands of cases, uh, I think we'd all have been horrified, but having seen these um, very high numbers up in the 8,000s, you know, suddenly 3,000 or 3,500 doesn't sound as bad. Um, so I suppose one, one of the things that we need to think about um, and reflect on is that it does look like the measures that we know about, you know, staying at home, keeping our distance, wearing masks, um, that those things do work. Um, but I suppose the risk now is that, um, as well as uh, what we've had to deal with today, that there is this new variant um, and that over time that may become more common here. It is likely to become more common here. And we know from experience elsewhere that it is more transmissible. Um, and so the measures that we're familiar with, we need to sort of stick with them um, even more stringently than we have before. Yeah. Your Quinley examiner quoted the examiner, I think, yesterday, where you warned of reopening uh, too soon. And we all know what happens at this stage, Patricia, that when mm -hmm. the numbers begin to stabilise and start to go backwards, which they will after stabilising, then mm -hmm. the lobby groups come out of the shadows and they say, well, is, maybe we can reopen this and maybe we can reopen that. And we have a case for being open and they have a case for being open and, and all of this. Extreme caution, you're warning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've been through it a number of times now and uh, we need to learn from, from the mistakes or uh, maybe think about making different decisions this time round. And the reality is that if we do start to open up too early, we'll end up back in lockdown again. And I suppose that's the choice um, that needs to be made is whether we really strict um, adhere to a very strict lockdown and try and uh, really crush the curve uh, this time rather than, you know, we've, we've talked in the past about flattening it, but this time we really need to crush it um, mm. before we open up again. People are already suggesting, among them actually, Leo Varadkar, the Thonishta, that certain businesses that are closed now sh should not be thinking about being open again 
until March. We really do have to look at holding this down until middle of February at the earliest, would you suggest? Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to be realistic um, and open about this. And I suppose it's great that the the government is supporting people. It is a very difficult time and that the appropriate supports are put in place. And as you know, I'm part of the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group. And Mm. one of the things that we've been trying to say is, yes, we need to have these really strong measures, but we also need to make sure that we put the right supports in place to people, for people um, to to help them um, get through these difficult times. Mm. Now, as well as having the, the, the lockdown that we have at the moment and, and the, the stay-at-home instruction, it's not an order as mm-hmm. such, and we see more and more people now, quite a number of people have already been fined this week by Gary for going outside the 5K, all those restrictions. But in terms of travel into the country, there's a significant change coming this weekend, isn't there, when from this Saturday, from tomorrow, everybody coming into the country will have to have proof of a negative test within the previous 72 hours. Now, that's surely a very positive... We should probably have done it months ago, but it's certainly going to help. So I think it is really important that we take um, the risk that inward travel poses very seriously and and, and take appropriate actions. Um, I suppose one of the challenges with uh, testing, and it's something that people have become really familiar with, the idea of false positives and false negatives, um, and what testing means, um, and I suppose what we know about the the virus is that somebody can test negative for it, um, but actually be, um, you know, a, a, a sort of incubating it and developing their illness. They're potentially infectious, so they get on an airplane, um, and then they arrive in Ireland having tested negative before they left. Um, uh, you know, are very reassured by that. Um, and then, you know, potentially infect uh, a number of other people as well. So one of the things that we've been suggesting for some time now is the idea of of mandatory quarantine. Um, And so really trying to impose that. Lots of other countries have done it. Um, It is also potentially a mechanism to support our hospitality industry um, and that people could be required uh, to stay in hotels um, uh, during that two-week period. We've talked to several people um, in Australia, for example, mm-hmm. uh, mandatory yeah. quarantine, you're taken there by bus and you're in a hotel for the next two weeks. You don't have a choice of the matter. Uh, and mm-hmm. and uh, that is how you get into Australia. Uh, and do, do we need to get that tough here? Do we need to impose that for a few months? I certainly think that that's um, an approach that we should be taking or that we should at least be talking about it and, and be open to, you know, the reality is we are where we are and, you know, different decisions were made, the best decisions, people in leadership positions made the what they felt were the best decisions at the time for the country. Um, but we've been yo-yoing back and forth quite a bit now um, and it's a new year. You know, maybe we can think about uh, a new way of, of, of managing this. And I certainly think that mandatory quarantine should should be part of that conversation. Okay, listen, I'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much. That's Professor. You're very welcome. Pat- nice to talk Thank to you. you. Thanks. Professor Bye. Professor Patricia Bye-bye. Carney. Thank you from the Department of Epidemiology and Public Health at at UCC. I'm totally into this hotel quarantine thing. I totally into it. Like, if you're going, you're going to come in, come in, grand your mother, welcome. But in there first. 
stay there first. Jim says they're not doing contact tracing. That's why the figures are going down. These figures don't add up. I'm surprised at PJ saying they're going in the right direction. Growth in infection is often said to be geometric, but it's more complicated than that with plateaus and spikes as groups of people become infected. The figures are not picking up the spikes. Good point, Jim. Good point. And a valid one. The, the, the contact tracing is not what it might be. It's not as thorough as it might be. It certainly isn't as thorough, for example, as they do in Australia. The only reason that I'm sort of saying there's, there's a, a good pattern emerging is I'm dealing solely with and have dealt solely with the official figures, the ones that are published on the hub. Because I deal only in those figures, that's where I take my pattern from. I accept, Jim, that the way they're collected changes from time to time, but I deal only with the official figures as published. But your point is valid. Thank you for it. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See Motors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. I've done a calculation as well this morning on when we might get back down to single figures in Cork. I'll tell you that before before midday. It's a bit away. It's a bit away, I may tell you. The nice people from Friendly Call were back on, and I'll give out their details again in a wee while maybe. But they say that they phone people from half nine in the morning to half four in the afternoon. Some people are called Monday to Friday. Some others are called Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So I'll give you the details again. A wee bit later. The Minister for Education said yesterday that education for children with additional needs will resume from next Thursday. Uh, They're coming up with a plan to get special classes and special schools open. Uh, Now, they're not exactly sure how it's going to work, but they are planning to open the schools and the special classes from next Thursday. Later this morning, I'll be talking to a principal who is a bit concerned by that prediction and says we shouldn't do it too fast. But let's go back to Joanne, who I spoke to during the week uh, about her her son, Bob. Joanne, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on again. No, no problem. Now, you heard that news yesterday. Um, I did. You explained to me yeah. during the week how you have to keep this kind of stuff from Bob. So I take it you're not yeah. telling him until you know for sure. No, no. I mean, I'm definitely pacing myself now because... Sorry, the, the everything else goes on in the background here. I can, <laughs> so if you can hear, if you can hear ch- children talk, grandchildren talking, and Bob talking, um, okay. we we juggle everything here. But um, no, I'm I mean I'm cautiously optimistic, but like I, you know I'm not going to get my hopes up too much yet because there's a lot of details beyond out. And, and there was is, no detail is, is in, that, in her is statement. That maybe the important point that Minister Foley is is so determined to get it open next week, but yet already SNAs are saying, "Well, we're not sure about this. We need more information." What is she talking about? Going, going, well, going I mean, there with, Sorry, yeah. You know, they need to be more certain before they make a plan. Well, the the, need, the plan needs to be specific because everybody has to be safe. Like you're not going to have safe safe pupils if you don't have safe staff 
as as far as it can be safe in the you know in the environment that we're in at the moment um like I don't see how uh you know she can plow ahead if if staff don't feel safe about it. Mm. Well, straight away, you the know, SNAs are just it, saying it, they're know, not sure what's it, happening here. They need more yeah. information. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we all do, and um, I think it's uh, I think it's was premature yesterday of them to announce the uh, that it was going ahead without having the detail ironed out. Really. All right. Okay, and you, you, know, won't, because you won't be mentioning it to Bob because he'll get overexcited, of course. Oh, listen, until we're again. outside the front door of the school, we won't be getting any, we'll be, you know, we won't be taking it as a given because, um, you know, plans can change at a moment's notice, with, uh, yeah. uh, you know, with, with, yeah. with special needs. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's just not... Um, We'll, we'll just kind of take it easy, okay. pace ourselves, go with the flow. Um, I think it's good that the government have committed to it, but, you know, um, we we need to see the colour of their money now like, and see what their own plans <laughs> exactly. exactly are. All right, listen, um, I'll let you get back to it. So you, you, you have a busy house. And I, I have and a very you, busy house here now, you, you know, get, it, it all you goes on. i let you get back to it, <laughs> Listen, thanks very much. Not at all, not at all. Look after, look after yourself and look after Bob and all the family. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. We'll come back to the story of education for children with additional needs later in the morning when I'm talking to a school principal who is warning, look, let's not jump the gun here. Let us be more careful. Uh, Norma Foley insisting now that they can get special classes or special schools up and running again by the end of next week. Uh, Yes, even already, uh, the SNAs are saying, hang on a minute, we need to know more here. What the heck are you talking about? Uh, This is something discussed about us without us. We, We need to know more. So we'll find out or we'll come back to that story later on in the morning. If you missed any part of our first hour, do not forget that you can get the podcast of the programme in the afternoon. It goes up first on Twitter and then it goes on to the Cork's 96mm app or indeed to whatever platform you get your podcasts on. We podcast the full show every afternoon uh, with all the... So if you need to catch up, you can do it there. Uh, the letters, if the postman has been to your house this morning and you've got a letter with a harp on it, looking for money back because you were on a PUP or you were on one of these employee support schemes, do not panic. Do not panic. No one is going to come up the drive and take money off you and look for money that you don't have right now. The revenue has to collect money from you because of the way the pup was paid out. But later on, I'll be talking to a financial expert who will explain why now is not the time to be panicking. And and now what is going to happen? And let's be very straight about it here. What is going to happen is that certain politicians from certain hues are going to do what they do well and light flares and give out and write press releases and be outraged and stamp their little feet about this and panic people. There's no panic. 1857 is the number of the text to WhatsApp 083 396 The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Sad news yesterday. We knew the man wasn't well. He hadn't been well for, for quite some time. But very sad news about the passing of Eamon Ryan. 
Um, Cork ladies football was an unstoppable force under his guidance. He managed the Cork ladies football team for 12 years and in the course of those 12 years he won 10 All-Irelands with them including including nine in a row. I, I remember actually the year that they didn't win it. It was kind of like, well, this isn't right. It was just, he, he made them an unstoppable uh, force, an irrepressible force in, in ladies football. He also, of course, was involved with the men's senior team in the 80s and he played himself uh, back in the 60s. He was admired and he was loved. And on the one or two occasions where I met him briefly and interviewed him briefly, I found him to be a thorough gent. Uh, Cork's 96 famous J correspondent Finn McCarthy joins me. Finny, you knew him well, didn't you? Good morning. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did, PJ. And, you know, you just kind of summed him up there in the short few words you said about him. And he was a thorough, a thorough gentleman. And I've spoken to a lot of people since the news broke, the sad news broke yesterday. And, of course, our sympathies to his family. Um, and every t- everyone I spoke to, they mentioned that word. A gent, a gent, a gent. And, you know, when people are saying that about you, you really know that he is a gent. He was a gentleman. And if you look at social media last night, I don't think, Gomlish <clears throat> Gale, I don't think the death of any sportsman I've seen in the last number of years got so much media attention and social media. The number of clubs from north, south, east and west of the country now, not just the county, of the country, that were extending their sympathy to Eamon family and to Cockpit football people. It, it actually went. It was off the wall. It was. It shows the measure of the man that the reaction his his sad death got yesterday. Tell me a little bit about him. Well, look, I did, did, as a, as a footballer, he won once the championship medals with Cork in '67 and '68. He played in the All Ireland final of 1967. Uh, he coached so many teams in the Pearcey to County Championships. A lovely story I got from an Aaron's own man last night, who, who wouldn't be a real football club there, more hurling. He took over their junior B team one year and got them to the East Cork final, which at that level would have been a, an incredible achievement. But he was just such a nice person. No matter what, it was never about Eamon Ryan. It was always about the guys and more laterally the girls that he was te- coaching with. He just loved hurling and football, loved being involved. And he look, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a bad word about Eamon Ryan. He just loved, he gave great work to the men's work in UCC as the games off up there for a long number of years. And he was just a gent. And I was speaking to him. Um, I know you have Valerie Mulcahy coming on there. I, I met Valerie at the, the ladies' football games a couple of weeks ago. And we knew Eamon wasn't well. And I remember the night of the Sunday game, Valerie wished Eamon well, sent his good wishes from the RTE studio. But I texted Valerie yesterday to say he wasn't well. And Valerie replied back to say he had sadly passed away. And then when I rang her yesterday to know what she wanted this morning with you, I could sense the disappointment and the sadness in her voice when she spoke. And that's just about sums the man up. It, an absolute gent. Yeah, I, I, I used to meet him at night. Yeah. When you when they come back with with yet another all Ireland, yeah. and the numbers would be up across the window of the bus, and and when they yeah. when they didn't win, it was it was like what just it was happened a shock. Here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they they won so nine many in matches, a row, it, like nine in a row. I think it was nine in ten years, Peter, but. That, that's only a small detail, but I think the, the, the best ever win, I'm not sure of the year, but there were 10 points down in an All-Ireland final one day to Dublin, and they came back and won. I think it was Geraldine Yeah, I, I was in Parky Keefe the same day, but 
<clears throat> the lads were doing commentary, and I think it was probably Paddy's Parma's most emotional commentary ever. He just couldn't, couldn't. I suppose he could believe what he'd seen before his eyes. But I think Geraldine Nuffin got the winning point, ten points down with about twelve or thirty, maybe fifteen minutes to go, and they won. And when you have a, when you have a team that good, and you're playing for a coach that good, it shows that the bond that the players and 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 Eamon had with one another, it was incredible, incredible. I'll bring Valerie Mulcahy in at that point. Valerie, good morning to you. Morning. 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 You've written a lovely piece in, in the paper today uh, about him. But that, that particular match, um, I, I was saying to Philly, I was watching it and I was getting a bit dispirited with maybe 20 minutes to go and I went out and I put the kettle on and, and I said to my wife, I said, oh, geez, they're going to lose this one. I'm surprised here. And I came back in. And the next thing, the next thing I know... They came back and came back and came back. Yeah. Never forget never forget it. You uh, at you, least you came back and some people left and still were watching the news and were a bit shocked when they saw Breach Corkery lift the cup because they were like, This must be last year. But uh <laughs> yeah, I mean that that day would always bring a smile to our faces and I think it was lovely that we got to show our, our true character and we were really, really tested. Um we, you know, kept our spirits and for for a spell, like if I'm honest, I think we were just trying to save a bit of face and, and make sure that the scoreline would go but I think we kind of had a sense we were able to come back when the likes of Rona and Emer Scali came on and and were able to make a forceful impact but uh, I think it was nice that we got to you know express that character and it, it probably took that kind of a comeback to show showcase what we were about um, and the and, smile yeah, Eamon. on Eamon's face that oh I know because I think when we had won so much, there was a sense of you know obligation to win and a relief then when we did win. Whereas this was like a roller coaster. We, you know, we were almost the underdog within the match. So to, to win that was like uh, it was a bit surreal and it, it was lovely because the you know it was a bit like an underdog. As I said, yeah, that kind of a. Talk to me a little bit about Eamon. When did, when did you first meet him? Um, well, we met, well, we met him when uh, we had a team meeting. I think it was down in the Commons, which couldn't have been so far away from me. But, um, you know, uh, we were obviously delighted when a man of such uh, calibre was coming in on board with a team who had won nothing, <laughs> um, could hardly win a championship match. And, um, you know, we were immediately struck by by his ambition and his knowledge of the game and and just his demeanour and his you know humbleness and also the way he treated us the respect he had for us um, you know we, we have so many great memories and that's something we will always have and, and cherish even more so now with Eamon's passing but uh, you know I remember the simple things he loved it. he loved just being out on the pitch with the footballs and kicking around and asking you know, getting us setting up drills and, and sometimes being a bit cranky, but for the most part, a smile on his face and, and delighted to be there and among a, a group and, and guiding us, but ensuring that we were able to express ourselves as players. And, um, you know, he just created a, a beautiful environment where we could all flourish, really, and, and allowed us to express ourselves. You know, there wasn't huge constraints put on us or, or game plans. It was just more, you know, with the work done, he really focused on the skill level and ensuring that that was top notch and um, our fitness as well a little bit but everything was done with with the ball and we really got enjoyment out of all those trainings and it was just a social outlet for a lot of us you know as well you know because he wouldn't have been out socialising in other, in other ways so you know the likes of Frankie and himself there from the start just shows and 10, ten of us who 
set out with Damon and Frankie and stayed there till the end and we kind of retired together which was which is lovely and probably fitting and um, many many just wonderful days and mainly good ones thankfully and you know we had some great spells we didn't want 32 games there they were out defeat at one stage and I think we only lost three matches in the championship you know under his uh, tenure or so yeah, uh, but look, really, as as Donegal Callan said, I was doing a piece with him, and he said, you know, more and more you realise the the friendships and the memories that are created in that. I need the middle halls and tallies. So it's very true, but I think you know that's that's the great thing about Eamon and, and as Finbar said earlier, I mean, they, there hasn't been a bad word spoken of Eamon and, and it would be hard to find one. And um, I think Cranky is the worst. <laughs> Sometimes I think that was just his way of trying to get the best out of us. Then, yeah, you know, he, um, he had a way. He, he had a way soul. with words, didn't he? He had he had oh, a way with words. He, he'd say, "We'll either come back with big heads or big arses." And that was. Oh, we won't. <laughs> don't don't come back with big heads or big arses. Small heads, small arses. Um, but no, that was just one of the funnier ones. But like, yeah, I remember one. Like I said in the examiner piece that. Um, we were at one of the homecomings and, uh, you know, there was a lot of references to us being over the hill and past ourselves by date and all that. And he said, what they don't tell you about being over the hill is you gather momentum on the way down that hill. So, you know, that was just aiming. Like, all of a the positive things and was able to spin things positively to ensure we were motivated. Um, he, you know, he, we said, could, he said a good training. speech. He used to say a good speech should be like a miniskirt. Long enough to cover the essentials, but yeah. short enough to get your attention. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> a bit bold, it? but yeah, I, I think got a few laughs there. That was at Don's wedding down in Inchidani, his son. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> As a player, uh, Valerie, um, yeah. with this colossus, if you like, on the sideline egging you on, take me back to that day when you were so far behind. Like... What what would Eamon do? How how would he how how did he get a game plan from his head to your hands and feet? Um, I think he was like he just trusted in us. He he gave us great speeches beforehand or the night before all Ireland's we would have a team meeting would be all fired up and emotional and but I just think he you know, he left it up to us to to see and play what was in front of us and he just at training, we had you know everything covered in terms of skill level and ball handling. We were always had about 100 touches on the ball at every night's training. We had about 35 footballs, one for each person. So, you know, in that sense, he had definitely helped us develop the fundamentals of the game. You know, matched with some fitness and ensuring that we you know gelled as a team, and um, you know that held true. And he was, you know, it became evident when the going got tough. We kind of got going so. It was nice. He was very calm for the most part in the sideline and and allowed us to be calm and not flustered by, you know, shouting or or, you know, negativity like it was always positive and yeah. he's well able to gauge us as a group and, and you know, you would always look forward to what he was about to say before the match there's or half. There's a lovely photograph in the in the examiner of, of yourself in is it was was it in twenty fifteen with yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely photograph. So that's that's almost yeah, like I mean, you'd you'd go up to your granddad. He was he, he was like. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I refer to him as that. Like I'd be mocking him there sometimes with his age. But like, yeah, I mean, he was a he was a father figure and a, and someone that you could trust with information or advice or you know support or help. And um, you know that was unwavering. And I think 
that's what's beautiful about him. He's, he looked after the person more than the player, and, and as a result, then the player was a better player and a better athlete. Valerie, thank you. And Finney, ni vegile he down And just to, we should also mention, PJ, that look, of all the clubs he coached, and you know, Valerie has spoken very eloquently about him there, he was out and out a Watergrass Hill and a Glenville man, even though he lived in the last part of his life in Ballingiri. But he was so so much a, a Hill man and a Glenville man up there. I think he got him to, he won an East Cork Junior medal in the, la, the latter days of his career, and he got to an East Cork Junior title. So, Whatever he done, Wallace Hill in Denville were his, were his clubs. And, you know, Neva Hellahead or Owner Leash. And just that one funny story. I was speaking to Des Delane yesterday. Des was UCC at the time. And he said they'd be all over the country in buses. And every time they go through a village, playing a Sigerson match or a league match, and they'd pass the cemetery. And he'd say, there it is, the dead, the dead centre of the village. <laughs> <laughs> Finny, thanks very much. Yes, you are on Finn Barr McCarthy, our GAA uh, correspondent in Cork's 96FM, and Valerie Mulcahy, who played uh, under uh, the great Eamon Ryan for most of her career. She's also, of course, the co-commentator on C103 these days. Uh, remarkable, remarkable record from uh, as a man I only met a handful of times. A handful of times. A, a, thorough, a thorough gentleman. 1857 Michael says a friend from Houston in Texas had a daughter who was sick with leukemia. She loved watching all the games. Michael got in contact with Eamon. He got a jersey, got all the girls to sign it, and then came out with the cup after the All-Ireland and thanked her for being such a great supporter. He was very human and a good person. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Lots of people have changed their businesses, had to change their businesses in the course of the last uh, 12 months uh, through the pandemic, particularly, I guess, the, the fitness industry, because gyms have been open and then they've been closed and then they've been open and then they've been closed. And they're currently closed again. And before Christmas there, they got open for literally a wet, a wet week and, and shut again. And if you're in that kind of an industry, then it must be very hard to try to keep yourself going and to, to, to keep things feasible, to, to keep the business open. Uh, Debbie Keane uh, is a fitness instructor, an army trained fitness instructor who left the army, set up her own business and now has had to completely uh, pivot it, that's the new word, pivot the business into an online operation in the last few months. Morning Debbie. Good morning PJ, happy new year to you and all your listeners. And to you, and good to talk to you. Thank you. An army trained fitness instructor that sounds a small little bit scary 
Uh, was it <laughs> apparently it was fitness that attracted you to the army in the first place? It was indeed. Yeah, I grew up in Richmond Hill, and at the top of Richmond Hill, there was a field called Bell's Field, which of course is now notorious because of the young offenders. Um, so I spent all of my days as a child playing up in Bell's Field, rounders, relays. We had sports days. Um, in the evening time, we'd mosey up to Rathmore Park and there was more green area there and we'd play basketball. We had two telegraph poles, no hoops or anything like that and we'd play basketball all evening long and I was just extremely active as a child. I just... Yeah, you were, you were, you were into the sport and fitness like since you were in school. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I was just always on the go. I was training all of the time. Where, where did the interest come from? I just was very, very active and I just loved sport. I loved com- competition and I loved the feeling of being fit. I exercised all my life, literally since I could walk. Mm. Now, Bell's Field is only a hop, skip and a jump That's from, from Collins's barracks. So, so what was the attraction that made you go up the road? Well, Richmond Hill would have been a very busy spot. So as kids, you couldn't really play there. There was cars up and down. So we always went up to the field and we just played games and just ran around. And I suppose I was probably a little bit of a tomboy as well, if the truth be told. But um, from there, I suppose my love of sport and my love of activity and exercise just grew and grew. Yeah. And into the army with you now. Yeah. Um, Well, I would see the soldiers running up and down. Patrick's Hill, Richmond Hill, all of the hills nearby, and you'd hear them in the distance coming, you'd hear the, the sound of the feet, you know, pounding on the floor, and I kind of thought, jeepers, you know, this looks interesting as a child, and I'd see the instructors with them and pushing them on, and I thought, God, this fascinated me, and I thought, I would love to do that someday. Now, at the time, there would have been no women in the, in these platoons that I would see running by as a child, but it was mm. definitely something that I thought, wow, I would love to do that when I'm older. So, so you did get into the army, and um, the I training, did. though, you'd never experienced anything like it. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm somebody that came from, um, I certainly did, didn't have any military background. Uh, my parents, my father was never in the army. I had no uh, uncles in the army. So it was completely a new situation for me. Um, the only familiarity I had with this was just seeing soldiers, you know, running past. That was basically it. So up I went and um, it started from there, really. How tough was it? It was extremely tough, PJ. And it was very challenging. It was, again, on the go all of the time. There was no time for sitting down. You were just constantly on the go. If you weren't doing PTs, you were getting ready for room inspections, you were um, doing lessons on weapons. It was just non-stop, you know, it really was. It was just all the time on the go. But it, I liked that. It was, the, I liked the, physical, the... the physical element of the training. I, I, I have a, an old friend who, who served in the Navy for, for a number of years, and when he went into the Navy himself, he was a fit lad, very fit lad. Yeah. But the first six months in the Navy nearly killed him. Yes. Yes. At their fitness levels, we don't get it, do we? The, the, the fitness levels inside the door, inside the walls of Collins's barracks, like that's their their fitness. That that's fitness, like it is. Yeah, it's pure hardcore. It is. There's no doubt about it. There's no comparison. I mean, I thought I was fit. Like I was a basketball player. I played with Neptune, and um, I played for Cork as well. But so I was always fit. But 
this is a different level, this is a different league. I mean, the days that you were allowed exercise in a pair of shorts and runners, that was heaven, that was bliss. You never did that. You always ran with a backpack, you always ran with your boots on, your helmet. It didn't matter, it could be in the middle of the summer. It was tough going. You might have to, be, you might have to run with your respirator on. It was very, very challenging, very, very mm-hmm. challenging. And all new, all new experience. But I trained in a group of uh, 40 people, and it was a mixture from all around Ireland, really, um, Munster. And we were the first platoon that trained as a mixed platoon. So prior to this, men trained separately and women trained separately. So we were the first platoon that actually um, trained mixed. So there was eight women, and there was um, the rest were, were guys from all over Munster. Yeah. You, you, you identified very early, though, you, you saw, right, there's a job I want, was the instructor. So yeah. let alone the, 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 the fitness training, yeah. but it was to get to instructor level. Yes. How hard was that? Uh, extremely hard because, you first of all, you had to be a certain rank. So I had to get promoted first. So I, went, I joined the, the army as a recruit, and I then had to go on an NCOs course to um, go to the rank of corporal. And it was then that I was eligible to go forward for a physical training instructor's course in the Cora in Kildare. So How hard was that? That was really hard. Yeah, yeah. The NCO's course for promotion was... Uh, it was very, very intense. Very, very intense. My recruit training was very tough also, but it, w- it was fun as well. We were all in the same boat. It was, it was great camaraderie. But the NCO's course was different because... Everybody was almost against each other. Everybody was trying to, you know, t- trying to just pass the course, really. And, you know, it was tough, tough, very, very tough. Um, mm. Physically and mentally, it was very draining. And I was just trying to take one day at a time with that course, really. And thankfully, I got there in the end and I passed. And then I went on yeah. to um, go for interview yeah. for the military fa- training instructor's course. You went to Lebanon as well, didn't you? I did, yeah. Well, it's part of your contract. If you're a soldier, you must serve over overseas. So I went to Lebanon, and again, a very surreal experience, to be honest. Like, we flew, we were fl- flew out from Dublin Airport uh, en route to Beirut Airport, and mid-air we were told, sorry, you're not landing in Beirut Airport, it's just after being bombed. So you can imagine, I mean, I was still really, really young. Uh, I, you know... Just hearing that on the loudspeaker, you're being diverted to Tel Aviv airport. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we couldn't even fly into the airport in Beirut. So we got off and we were bussed up then in through Israel and up into Beirut. Mm. You loved the army, didn't you, Debbie? So, so why did you leave? Well, PJ, I was getting to the stage that I had just got married and I had achieved everything that I set out, like I did that army PTI course in the Cora, which was again very, very challenging. And I also um, represented the army in the World Military Games. Wow. Yeah, for orienteering twice, once in Portugal and once in Norway. So I kind of felt, you know, I, I have, there's not much more I can achieve here. I've, I've ticked all the boxes. I did what I set out to do. And I was thinking that I would like to settle down and have kids and, you know, maybe just concentrate more on the fitness side as well. It was something that I was in the back of my head. And, and you've 
opened a business, a fitness, a fitness business. When, when did that open? Well, I didn't really, I suppose, open a fitness business. It just, again, kind of happened sort of, you know, uh, organically. I trained as a Zumba instructor and I set up a class here in Inishannon and just one hour a week and it just grew, grew from there. And Debbie's Fitness and all that, the, the name of it, I, 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 it's, it's, it's fitness.dk42 at gmail.com. That's, 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 a, that's your contact details, but fitness, fitness with Debs, fitness. it took off, like you said. It did, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I suddenly found myself training women, <laughs> whereas uh, previous to that, because of my last career, I was always training mostly men. So it was complete different contrast, very refreshing, and a completely different way of training. I mean, my training in the army would have been, you know, really hard PTs and, you know, just very, very, very challenging exercises all the time. And then I went from one extreme literally to the other. Like Zumba, of course, is a very fun workout, lovely music, and everybody's happy, you know. So it was a totally different regime altogether. So very refreshing, and I just absolutely loved it. And the thing that got it for me was to see people enjoying exercise, PJ. There's nothing better. You know, to see people singing along to songs in classes, you know, people getting to know each other. It was lovely, people building friendships, and I was just hooked. I thought, my God, this is amazing. Bringing people together, getting people into a hall to exercise. That never would join a gym. It was, it was a fantastic experience. And then the pandemic happened. Then the pandemic happened, yeah. And, you know, it was just overnight, really. I was out of work for the first time in my life. And it was scary. And, you know, I, initially, I suppose I thought, actually, this is only going to be for, you know, three or four weeks and to be grand. We'll, we'll be all back to classes again shortly. But, of course, obviously, that was not the case. So you had to move online. Had to move online, and yeah. Another learning experience. Definitely. Well, I felt, you know, we were all at home. I didn't want to leave. I have, you know, a lot of girls and, and men as well that I train regularly every week. And suddenly they went from, you know, doing two or three classes a week with me to not being able to do any classes at all. And I felt, cheapers, I'm going to have to get up and do something here. So I set up classes, free classes, um, firstly on Facebook, and then getting everybody involved. I'd set up different challenges for us every week, and you know, we would do all these kind of plank challenges and that, and it was fun, it was, it was good fun, and it was lovely to see people getting involved, and there was all sorts of things going on in the background because it was new to everybody, you know, none of us trained online. So then, after about, I think it was about seven or eight weeks actually, when one of the ladies put up, we have a WhatsApp group, and one of the ladies put up on the group that, look, this is obviously going to be going on an awful lot longer than we think, folks. So we can't allow Debbie to, you know, keep training for free. She's, she's not even earning a wage at the moment. Look, let's think about setting up a price here and that we pay her for the classes. So it just grew organically from so, there. Right. So the idea literally came from, from one of, your, one of your, your participants. Debbie, just to finish up, um, you, you say and you're so um, driven by this principle that... Yeah. Given that we are in the middle of this pandemic and it's changed all of our lives and we're all stuck in the house and we're locked up and we're doing all the wrong things. Because I know. That's, that's what hard. you do when you're... You say physical health is important for mental health, that if we stay physically in shape and physically well, then our mental health will follow. Absolutely, PJ. I mean, exercise releases endorphins endorphins you know make you happy it's as simple as that you can't beat that feeling 
and I think it's more important now than ever to just keep moving and get out whether it's you know walking whether it's running whatever doing a class online but it, for mental health particularly it's so so important right now to just get out and keep moving and it doesn't have to be army level fitness like Absolutely just to not. walk around the block exactly anything I just say all movement is good Move, any kind of movement is good if you're up and down the stairs a few times it's all movement it's all steps it's all elevating your heart rate it's getting your heart pumping and the thing with the online classes is that they're very very time efficient PJ there's no commute time to and from halls you know you just literally come downstairs and you do your class and mm. it's cheaper you don't have petrol ex- expenses um, it's there's no equipment needed. It's it's a, it's it's a cool way of doing things. So it'll get people get people into it. Fitness with Debs is the business. Fitness with Debs. Fitness with Debs dot com. You can go into my website and see all the different timetables for the different classes. I teach Pilates, his classes, booty band classes. Um, weights classes so there's a huge selection and I teach a class for older adults as well and I think that's an area that older people have really been hit by this pandemic I feel they're mm. just very isolated at the moment and I mm. teach a class for active retired so if anybody's interested in that please contact me because okay. it's an area I'm very passionate about you know exercising with older people is very very important as well Okay, I'll leave it there for today, Debs. Good talking to you, and, and best of luck with it with the future of the business. That's Debbie Keane, Fitness with Debs. I tell you, everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a story. Fitness instructor in the army, and now she teaches on Zoom. You can. Everyone can do it. Anyone can repurpose or pivot. Was that? Was it that? Was it? Um, Baby Baskin used that word last week in the show. Pivoting is the new thing now. Remember I read in the first hour there, comment in from John, we talked about with Paddy O'Brien about the importance of mass and going to mass for people. And in a week where the church had a lot of bad press, much of it deserved, to be fair, uh, John was saying that there's a constant attack now on the Christian faith. And he was talking about a comedy show last night on RTE with a sketch about social isolation. And it depicted uh, the priest throwing Holy Communion at the prisoners. Now, I didn't see it, but the, the lads on the executive research desk, T- Terry, saw it. Uh, Jess was on to say on the comment earlier about that comedy sketch, uh, Jess disagrees with John. She said she found the comedian, Sinead Quinlan, really hilarious. Great to have more comedy during these dark times, and especially Cork style. There is an ironic honesty, says Jess, in many comedy sketches, and the likes of Father Ted just lifted the lid on the absurdity of the men in black living in their cloisters. We need more laughter and we need to see the bigger picture rather than nitflick, a nit, nitpick, nitpick about a few flying wafers at mass. Jess says, let's open our minds a bit and see the funny side. The sketch wasn't meant to offend. It was meant to cheer us up. And I think she says that for the most of us, it did. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. I don't know if you've bought a car during the the pandemic or particularly during lockdown time. I have, so I bought a car the new way. I changed our little runabout here. Um, I bought a car the new way, 
where I looked at it online, I had a video online, uh, I made my deal with the company online, and they delivered it to the door, and I did the payment online and all like that, the new way of buying a car. And it's going to be the way for, for quite some time, I suggest. But Dundeal have done a survey in which they said that this is a great time to buy a used car because they're starting to really hold their value. It also finds that there's a massive interest in people wanting to buy electrics or hybrids uh, going forward. Michael Sheridan is the motoring journalist of the Irish Car and Van of the Year judge. Uh, Michael, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is an interesting survey on a number of levels, um, particularly the interest in, in going electric or going hybrid, but the block on it is the cost. Yes, electric cars on their own are absolutely astronomical in terms of purchase price, and they're subvented by, um, uh, well, this year it's changed slightly with taxation, but up until um, the start of this year, there was 10 grand given to help reduce the price of an electric car, but in reality, that car would still be 10 grand more than the equivalent uh, model it was trying to replace. So we've a long way to go in terms of adopting two electric cars. The price point will come down as more and more manufacturers shift to making electric cars and delivering to them uh, yeah. to us. But we're we're, we're a long way from being um, uh, jumping. Uh, with both feet into buying and, electric cars because they are so the dear. Sur- the, the, the survey showed, didn't it, Michael, a huge interest in looking at or trying the electric option, but yeah. it's the cost is the prohibitive factor. Absolutely. And in fairness, um, there's so many bills to pay. This year, people had to reassess where they were, what they were doing. There's a, the amount of people, PJ, that you and I know who have a long commute because it was they were forced out of where they grew up because of house prices and had to factor in driving a car. And in rural Ireland, uh, diesel cars became hugely popular. Again, the government put taxation changes in in 2008. Everybody hopped into diesels. People are used to diesel economy, diesel fuel economy. And and to tell them that all of a sudden that this is going to come to an, uh, a sudden stop, which it isn't, but to scare the living daylights out of people as they've been doing for the last year or so. And um, mm. it has increased interest in electric and hybrid cars, but diesel is still far from dead. Yeah, I, I saw that in the survey as well. D- diesel still very popular. Yeah, and what they're doing, PJ, is that Europe, um, we can only buy what's put in front of us. So the menu of cars we have to choose from is what the distributors will bring into the country and then people will buy. And a lot of the time people buy on the size of the car and then on its price. And if um, you see certain countries like Norway has adopted electric cars and more than half the car- new cars they sell are electric, but they have heavily subsidised uh, their electric cars by penalising every petrol and diesel car a huge amount. So the prices um, are made, the menu there is you can choose it and, and uh, all cars are similarly priced. So the electric one isn't that uh, dearer or cheaper than a petrol or diesel. So people can safely hop into those cars uh, without too much of a penalty. But in Ireland, um, because we've been told that they're, they're, they're going to at some stage put an end to selling new diesel and petrol cars, it frightened everybody. Europe by 2050 will have to be carbon neutral, but all the car manufacturers are being forced and penalised if they don't make cars greener and greener every year. Mm. So every year we're getting greener and cleaner cars, 
But at the moment, the message coming from government is if you buy a diesel or a petrol car, uh, you're a fool because we're going to ban them. That's not going to happen. They will stop going on sale in about 10 years' time, maybe. But they'll still be second-hand used diesels, petrols. We'll be running them for 15, 20 years' time. Yeah. And they're holding their value even now as another finding. Yes, PJ, this is remarkable because you'd think, oh, sure, look, if, if um, uh, there's a few quid around, we'll go out and we'll buy a car. But because people weren't buying new cars last year and the year before, um, because times are very tight, um, there's no natural supply of fresh used cars for people to buy. Not everybody buys a new car. Some people buy a year-old car, some people buy a three-year-old car, a five-year-old car, and so on. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, like a, a food chain supply that people love to, 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 to feed off. But we're going to be dramatically short of used cars, and Brexit contributed big time to this, uh, and, uh, as well as the pandemic. So we've got very few used cars coming into the country. Like last year, PJ, I think the figure was roughly 80,000 um, used imports were brought in. The previous year, 114,000 were brought in. And these will be cars coming in, your, you know, your typical diesel, and people will be buying these used and, get, and getting their, their value and using them. But we have, the supply has been massively reduced. So used car values have actually stayed steady and in fact increased by 1.5% last year. And this year, used values will remain very high because people are scared to death of bringing a used car in from the UK because there will be penalties. There's less penalties if you bring it in from the north, but if you bring it in directly from the UK, you've got import duties to pay as well as everything else. So hang on to it and mind it and it'll hold its value. Listen, leave it there for now. Thanks very much for that. That's uh, Michael Sheridan, uh, motoring journalist on the changes in how we buy cars. Your used car that you bought in 2018, 2019, 2017, 16, that's going to hold its value. And this idea that we'll all have to drive a diesel or an electric in 10 years, they won't be able to do that. People have been saying that for months. I want to get this in quickly before we go to the news at 11 o'clock. This is Senator Rebecca Moynihan from the Labour Party has submitted a bill to the Shannon on period products to be free uh, to all. Uh, Rebecca, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is a thing, they've already, they've already done this thing in Scotland, haven't they, that, that you can actually walk into any public building and yeah, get so, free pe- and it, yeah. period products. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it's very based and pulls very heavily on the um, bill that Monica Lennon introduced in Scotland. And it took them about four years to introduce it. Uh, they initially started to do it in schools and educational institutions and um, they passed it in November. So it'll essentially be rolled out through local authorities. So it will be in things like um, leisure centres, libraries, schools and educational institutions, um, colleges. And they spent four years building a coalition and actually trialling this. Now, I was on Dublin City Council previously, and I got it um, rolled out on a couple of pilot bases to be rolled out fully in Dublin City Council, that it would be in all of our public buildings. Um, and, and, and that work in doing that is ongoing. But from Scotland, we know some of the teething problems um, that, that are there. And it's a really basic concept. If you walk into a public bathroom, you're supplied with soap, you're supplied with um, toilet roll. This is about having period products that are available. We know um, that... Why is it so important, Rebecca? 
Well, because you don't want to walk around bleeding and an awful lot of people um, don't have access to period products that we need. And we know from research that was done by Plan International, particularly younger women, they're using things like socks, they're using things like kitchen roll and people don't have access. And Homeless Period Ireland, for example, um, go around and they deliver period products to um, direct provision centres and homeless centres. And we know that the more vulnerable women don't have access to the products that they need. Um, Some of them can be really expensive particularly at the moment where we're limited in terms of where we can travel to if I get into my local spa it's over four euro for a box um, of tampons um, and it's expensive for that and we we know that some people don't have access to it it's a really basic product for people to be able to access Um, nobody questions that when you go into a bathroom you're supplied with toilet roll because that's basic hygiene so, so lastly and briefly, you've submitted the bill now what happens next? how long is it likely to take to actually get a result here? So it, it passed the bill's office and then I will be putting it on the order paper on Tuesday. The last Joel and Women's Caucus had a motion on this and there was a working group that was set up to have a look at it in terms of implementation. So I would be hoping with cross-party support and with government support we could get something like this implemented by the end of the year. And we know that these things are important and that they can happen and they can roll out. A lot of the experiences in Scotland we have learned from as well or we can learn from. So we don't have to go through the same process of you know trialing it we know for example from scotland and, and we know from some of the institutions that have trialed it here people aren't walking off with boxes they're taking what they're need if they're needing yeah. so it's actually a lot less expensive than people had initially anticipated okay. well we keep an eye to it uh, throughout the course of the year we may talk again thank you very much that's senator rebecca moynihan of the labor party hoping to have that bill through by the end of the year for free period products in all public buildings. 1857 Zara King from Virgin Media News uh, has tweeted that the dose interval for the Pfizer vaccine will change from 21 days to 28 days. A HSE letter to vaccination teams has said it's decided to implement the change. This is for anyone who has their first dose from Monday the 18th. I'm sure we'll hear more about that. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, tonight looks like being a night only for the telly and, and the fire and maybe a bottle of beer. Nothing much doing. Night is not that it's doing anyway, like, but weather isn't going to help. 185715996, the number, the text or WhatsApp, 083 9696 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. A reminder to you that you can join Trevor Welsh on 96fm.ie this Saturday or on the app for the Premier League Live, exclusively online and powered by Talk Sport. And Trevor's lineup this Saturday, Wolves against West Brom at 12.30, West Ham versus Burnley at 3, Fulham against Chelsea at half five, and Leicester City against Southampton at 8 o'clock. It's the Premier League live online with Now TV. Only pay for the games that matter to you. Your sport on your terms with Now TV. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. If you missed anything in the first couple of hours of the programme and you want to catch up with us, you can do that in the afternoon when we put up the Opinion Line daily podcast of the whole show. goes up in the afternoon. We tweet the link as soon as it's ready. Then it goes on the app, but then it goes on all your various platforms. At some stage this afternoon, catch up at anything that you may have missed earlier this morning. I opened the programme uh, just after nine by saying to anyone who was getting a letter this morning 
not to panic. I think it's important that we tell people not to panic because thousands of people are getting letters in the post today or at the latest on Monday. And these are people who were on a PUP or on one of the wage subsidy schemes run by the government over the last uh, few months since the pandemic uh, kicked in. We, we knew this would happen. We knew months ago this was likely to happen. But now it's going to happen that the letter is coming in from Revenue to effectively tell you that you may owe them some money. There is no need for panic, and that's very important to stress. Let's bring in Owen McGee, who is a financial planner and a money journalist, and joins me now on the opinion line. Owen, good morning to you. Good good morning, and I, I really have to amplify what you're saying there. Panic is not needed here. Like what, what has happened here is, just to put everybody in the picture, last year we were going into lockdown one, Government were worried about people sleeping at night because they were worried about their wages. They introduced the pandemic unemployment payment, the PUP payment. They jumped to try and protect the relationships between employers and employee. That's you and your boss. And they introduced the wage subsidy scheme. It was done incredibly quickly. And one of the things that maybe if they had have had a little bit more time, they would have done it. In fact, they would have done it differently had they had more time. Because when they did have more time, they changed the wage subsidy scheme in September. They fixed this. Now, they wouldn't use the word fixed, but I'm not here to defend the government. But what they did was is they paid you a, a payment that was subject to tax, but they didn't take any tax out of it. So you got it as if you didn't, uh, uh, you got it and there was no tax taken from it yet, which is very unusual for somebody who works for somebody else who's a PAYE and, and why worker. why did they the, do that? Was that to speed it up, Owen, to get just get the money out and get it into people's accounts pronto? I absolutely believe there's no other reason why other than just to make it as quick as possible. People were losing sleep. And not only that, you had, whatever about you as the employee, if you were the person who was, your boss was probably losing sleep and wondering, will I close the business down? And the whole, particularly with wage subsidy scheme, the whole idea of the wage subsidy scheme was that if your boss cut the tie with you and let you go, your boss is much slower to take you on again when things start to pick up because they're nervous about having to let you go again. But not only that, you'll start looking around for work. And when your boss is ready to take you back on again, you might have found another job. And it just completely, there's no continuity there. So by keeping the employer-employee relationship together, which is what the wage subsidy was for, it meant that as things, and it, it was evident, once the lockdown went, it was people were back in work again and was back up again. Lockdown two hit, everybody knew what was going to happen again. And it just worked incredibly well. I promise you, we would have significantly more financial impact on us now. There'd be much more people um, who would be on permanent social welfare and not in a job right now if it hadn't been for it. But okay. they had to do it quickly, so they didn't take the tax out of us. But the letters so in terms of the letters that people are yeah. getting this morning, people who were on a PUP are getting letters, people who were on the subsidy scheme are getting letters, and those letters are telling them that they owe some money. But don't yeah. panic. Yeah, now not everybody is going to owe money from last year because it oh. depends on how much you earned in the entire year. Okay, and, and, and let's just take it as somebody who, let's take the pup. Imagine you were on 350 a week in your job, right? Yeah. And then you went down to the, the pup, and it's pandemic unemployment payment, but if people allow me, I'll call it pup, right? You go on to the pup, and it's 350 a week. Now, imagine for the entire year, every year, whether it was between your job and your pup payment, it was a flat 350 a week. That means you earned 18,000 euros last year. Now, roughly, and I'm rounding here, right? 18,000 euros. 
I would guess the tax that's due, if any, is going to be about €400. Euros. Okay? Now, you have a choice. You can pay €400 today if you have it in your bank account. There were 700,000 people looked at the video that I put up when this all happened back in March and April. They looked at my video online saying you're going to be subject to tax. Put some money aside now. If you did do that and you put some money aside, you can pay that bill now and it's gone forever. I think we spoke at the time about that, you and me. We did, yeah, absolutely, we did. Now, the other option is, is revenue are not looking for you to pay this until next January. They have already said January 2022 is when we're, when we're going to look for this money to be paid. Now, in January 2022, 12 months from now, if you still don't have the money and you can't afford to pay it back, whatever the bill is, the reality is, is that Revenue have said they will take it off you over a four-year period. And how they will do that is, is they will adjust your tax credit so you'll pay a little bit of extra tax. Now, again, rounding the numbers to keep life simple, 400 euros divided over four, year, euro, four years is roughly two euros a week. Okay? Now, you might have a bigger bill. You might have a 1,000 euro bill. You might have a 2,000. It's, it's still going to be divided over four years. There's no interest. There's no penalties. Because to be fair to revenue, and I'm not here to defend government, and I'm definitely not here to defend revenue, but to defend revenue... They have said from the very, very beginning of this, we do not want to create financial hardship in anyone as a result of this. Mm. And I do think that people need to be very aware. You have a choice. You can pay it now if you want to. You can pay it in 12 months in one lump if you want to. Or you can spread it back and pay it back between the years 22, 23, 24 and 25. So I'm nobody should what be... you said there with regard to the no penalties or no interest, because if I get a tax bill for outstanding tax in my door today and I don't pay it pronto, it starts to mount up. This figure will remain as it is. It will not mount up. It will not mount up. It's going to remain the same. They have said that. They've come out and said it. The minister has supported it. The, the, the opposition leaders have challenged it and have backed down like they have accepted, right, this is the way it's going to be. And that's the way it should be. Like, to be fair, this was, and I know I'm trying to keep simplifying it, but this was about giving people sleep last March or April. There's no point in giving people sleep last March, April, May and June, and then for the next three years having them losing sleep over the tax bill that's accruing interest and penalties. So to be fair, they've done the right thing here. They jumped as quick as they could to get everybody in here, and now they're in a position where they're saying, okay, and and if you, this is a tax bill that has to be paid, and this is how we're going to do it. So, so, so what do you do if you're holding a letter in your hand? What, what do you do? Do you have to contact revenue or if you want to wait and pay it off over the number of years? What do you do? If you want to pay it today, like, first of all, if you arrive home from work this evening and you're listening to this maybe in work and, or maybe you're working from home or the postman hasn't come yet or the postman comes and you don't get a letter and you're thinking to yourself, oh, does that mean I don't have a bill to pay? Whether you get a letter or you don't get a letter, one of the things you can do is log online and you can see what your outstanding taxes are and what bill is due for last year. If you have the money to pay it off now and you want to pay it off now, there's, a, there's an option to pay it there and then. One of the things I will say to people is, particularly PAYE workers, very, very few PAYE workers actually do a tax return. And they should. If you do a tax return every year, the average refund that's given is €1,000. Now, if your PUP or your wage subsidy bill is €1,000 and you can get, put your medical expenses through and all the other things that you're allowed to claim back that very few PAYE workers do, if you put back those things through, one could negate the other and it'll be gone. And not only that, Revenue have made it very simple for the PAYE worker where they, you, you go to do the return and they've already pre-populated on the system. 
all the information they already know about you. So you only need to fill in the blanks. You only need to tell them, how much did I spend going to the GP last year? How much did I spend on the other allowable expenses? Working from home is a big one. Like, mm. working from home, you can put through 10% of... Sorry, you can put through as much as you think is justifiable, but it doesn't raise any eyebrows in, in revenue if you put through 10% of the lights and the heat, the electricity or the gas bill, um, or some of the oil that you, that you filled. There's also, like, there's a committee being put through at the moment. It was, it was announced in the budget where they're looking at everything. And broadband was announced in the budget for, for the first time that you could actually put broadband, some of the broadband costs through. So there's a whole pile of stuff that you could be claiming that will just wipe this out. And it's just about getting, like, if people don't feel comfortable about doing this themselves, they can go off. There's lots of companies out there that are doing plenty of advertising right now. I don't need to advertise them. That will do it for, I think it's typically a couple of hundred euros. They'll, they'll look at your taxes and they'll help you claim your refunds or mm. claim enough for refunds that will negate the bill that you have just been hit with. But mm. I think, PJ, it's just about don't panic. There's plenty of help here. There's plenty of support from revenue to get you through this. It is money that's owed. And this is another question some people come back with. Oh, should we not just be let off this? Why should we have to pay the bill? The reality is, is PJ, if you and I were, I don't know, we were both living in the same house and you happened to work in a job that was considered essential and you went out to work every day to earn your 350 a week and I was in a job that was shut down and I stayed at home every day for 350 a week. I'm better off financially than you are even though you went out to work and I didn't. Yeah, so we have to equal that out by paying the tax. And you know what? Society needs the money. As a country, we need the tax. We've had a very expensive year and there, we don't want to have to start increasing people's taxes. So let's just collect the taxes that are due and it's more equal and fair across everybody in society. Lastly, and briefly with you, Owen, Mary has a question. Just to be clear, are they being taxed on the whole 350 or just the excess from what they would have got on the dole? No, sorry. So what, what, what the revenue look at, everybody in the country, and again, I'm going to round the numbers to keep it really simple, right? You can earn roughly €16,000 in a given year and your tax credits pay out. You don't pay, you don't fall into the tax bracket. You don't have to pay any tax. If in the entire year, your entire income, whether it was from your your job or from wage subsidy or from PUP, anything above €16,000 in total income will be start falling into the tax bracket and you'll start paying tax on it. Like, it's not, there's no deduction of what you would have got on social welfare. It's like that. People don't realise most social welfare payments are taxable, but they're not taxed in real time. And like the first time people often find this out is that they go off on maternity benefits. They don't realise yeah. that that's a taxable payment and then they find out afterwards, I owe tax on that. Oh my, I didn't realise yeah. that. So it's no, it's just treated as every other income you got last year, except there was no tax taken out of it, so they're taking the tax now. Louise has a question. This is a good one. Uh, could we ask, are we entitled to claim anything back for homeschooling the kids because we've higher heating and electricity bills? Homeschool? Do you know what? That is a good one. And I actually think that... Um, I think I might throw a query into someone, PJ, and I might tag you on Twitter or something. I might throw a query into some of the, the contacts I have and some of the departments and see if we can get an answer on that one. I think we're probably pushing the boat a little bit there because um, then you could argue if the kids were at home and you weren't schooling them, do you claim heating? Is the heating turned up anyway? I, I could see an argument being made on both sides. Honest answer, instead of a politician's answer where I tell you, I'll come back to you, I'll tell you, I don't know. But I would be err on the side of, I I can't see that one getting through. Well, you know what you do. Do, Go and check it out for us and come back and see what you can do. All right, all right. Owen, a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's Owen. And PJ, can I I just say, PJ, half past eight, 
Thursday evenings, or to one, how to be good with money. So we're not sure everything. You've just missed the first two, ep- first two episodes, but we've got another six to go. Half past eight, oh. Thursday evenings, or to one. Good man. All right. Thanks very much. That's Owen McGee, financial planner and money journalist, and of course, the man behind How to Be Good with Money. And he'll come back to us on that particular query. That is the message of the day, though. If you got one of those letters, do not panic. There's plenty of time, and it'll get, they'll make it easy, and the figure will not go up. You owe the money, but the figure won't go up, and you can spend four years paying it back if that's what you need to do. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See Motors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996 just on electric cars uh, Owen messaged me to say look my electric cars repayments are about the same people forget the additional costs are gone there's no crazy expensive servicing there's no petrol it cost me about 280 a night to fill my tank from emptying from the electricity and it's never really empty usually it's much less than empty uh, before this, I was paying about 500 a month between tax, petrol and servicing on my car. Interesting perspective. Thanks, Owen. And you drive a beauty as well. Owen drives a gorgeous little electric car. 1850-715-996. We touched earlier on this morning on the plan that the Minister for Education has announced to reopen special needs education uh, as early as next Thursday. Norma Foley saying yesterday that special classes in mainstream schools or special schools, that she's putting a plan together to try to reopen them from next week. Now, straight away, uh, the special needs assistants have said, hold on a minute, hold on there. We know nothing about that, what is happening. We're going to need more information as to as to what's happening. But the minister and her team are indeed insisting that it can be done. But already one principal is putting up his hand to say, hold on a second, don't do this too quickly. The principal of Glasheen Boys National School is Michael Daly. Michael, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, no. I've spoken to parents who want to get their, their, their youngsters back into and school. And so do we all. We absolutely want the children in school. It is our priority. And I suppose I just want to say, first of all, at the outset here, you know, I'd like to think that there's nobody more than me as an advocate for children with additional needs. And we want, and the, I suppose what people are afraid of here is what happened during the first lockdown. It went on and on and on, and I suppose the Leaving Cert 2020 took precedence. And, you know, we did, we were doing our best throughout for the children with additional needs yeah. and all the children. But um, I think people are afraid that this, that's what's going to happen here, and, and it can't happen. We have to get the yeah. children back in school, which is what we all want. My is it point, feasible to do special education separately and first? It, I suppose we are worried because I suppose we're, we're in an unprecedented time. And I mean, we were looking there the other night at Claire Byrne Alive and one of these uh, consultants was on from the matter and he said, look, this is an unprecedented time. We know that there are difficulties. We know that obviously this is an incredibly difficult time for families and for particularly for families of children with additional needs. And I, I really, really get that very, very much. But he said, like, this is not the time for making rash decisions. And this is what I feel. We're in a situation where, you know, 
the, the minister, it's a very difficult time for her. I, I, I take my hat off to her. It's a difficult time. But she doesn't seem to be listening here. I mean, we're talking about any hospital staff members. You, we've all seen them on the, on the media over the last two weeks being vaccinated. You know, yet there's talk about special classes reopening next Thursday and there isn't one single talk about vaccinating staff or vaccinating anybody involved there. And that's wrong. Like that is, you cannot justify that. Like you can't have one rule for one set of people and another rule for other people. We want the children back in school. We want to support the families. We are supporting the families at the moment, by the way. Mm. But like the interesting thing about all this is, you know, we had a whole situation there last week, total confusion. You know, first of all, all, all schools were opening on the 11th of January. We prepared for that. Next thing then was we were all moving to online. We prepared for that. Next thing, special classes were opening. We were preparing for that. Next thing, they were not opening. We were preparing for that. And it went on and on and on like that. So like, there was all this confusion. But like, at the end of the day, we need the staff vaccinated if children are going to be coming in. And, and for their safety of all, not just for the sake of staff, but for the sake of the families and so on. And I suppose I've... I've been in a situation like so many other um, schools where I've been in contact with public health and I'm listening constantly to the minister coming out on, on the media saying schools are safe. Now they are safe but there are implications for schools when there are cases even though they're not transmitted in school. There are huge implications and uh, um, I suppose If I, you're to listen to the to the experts and I, I this time last week I, I was speaking to Dr. Gabriel Scali um, mm-hmm. and of course public health is, is his thing Yes, and I asked him about schools being safe and what they constantly tell us that schools being safe and what he'll say is they are safe or and people leave the ER off the end of it. Yeah. They are safe or yeah. yeah. but you still have to make them as safe as you possibly can. So Absolutely. And and I'm, I must say, you know, I mean we had four months of fantastic cooperation, amazing yeah. teamwork from the from the parents, from the staff, from the children. You know, seeing the children coming in every day smiling and beaming in a way that you know, it, it was amazing. You know, I suppose having been on lockdown for so many months, when all the children came back, they wanted to be in school. I mean, it was amazing to think that children were so happy to be in school. They loved it, and they loved being with their friends, and they loved, you know, it. it they were. It was a charmed time, really. But mm-hmm. having said all that, you know, what the people don't see on the ground, they, they, you know, just wave a magic wand to get the children into into class, and all will be fine. But my worry is, we open the class next Thursday. There's a case. And then it's all closed down again. And that's the end of it, you know. Like, doing this prematurely, we're, we're hearing about variants from the UK, from South Africa, maybe South America, wherever. And, like, that it's such a difficult time and the numbers are not like they were never before. And But my worry is, you open next Thursday and then, you know, the, 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 the genie comes out of the lamp. There's, there's huge problems. There's terrible trouble or whatever. And, like, I'll be the one and people like me will be the ones... Uh, going and forth with public health as I have been in the past mm. not not the minister and not yeah. the ad- other people like we say I mean that chap Adam Harris from As I Am he's a wonderful lad he's a fantastic advocate but he doesn't see the picture from the point of view of the, of the people on the ground in the, in the schools and you know I, I'm saying this not from the point of view of, of staff or not from just from the point of view of the children, but the families and the parents as well. And I mean, I, I thought it was very telling. Last week, I was in touch with all of the parents of the children with additional needs in our special class. And a lot of them were hugely concerned about sending their, sending their children in. And these were people who want their children to be in school. But this was their concern because they recognised how difficult this situation is at the moment. And, you know, they, they, I suppose they, the, the, the potential for serious danger here. 
the way things are, and I don't want I don't want mean to sound sound alarmist. No, no. no. But what what would you need to know? What would Norma Foley need to tell you, Michael, or tell your 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 cohorts and your colleagues? She would need to prioritise for us for a vaccine. That's what she needs to do. You know, and I mean, I have no problem. You know, like the, the amount of work that I, I mean, I don't. I'm not in any way complaining here, PJ. But I mean, the amount of work that I've had to put in over the last two weeks, you know, is is much much greater, than, we'll say, than if the children were in school. I would love the children to be in school. We we want all the children to be back in school, and hopefully, we will be. Hopefully, at, you know, at the beginning of February. But um, well, I was just going to ask you about that because the the plan is at this stage anyway to try and get the special education started. Next, uh, next Thursday. Or from, but, uh, they're saying you, from Thursday, but do you know, PJ, Thursday, yeah. like, you see, it's, we're being drip-fed information, yeah. and it's just, like, it's changing every day. And mm-hmm. where I hear all of this, I hear this from the media. I don't hear it from the department. I hear it from the media. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I mean, people, and, and immediately then people are ringing me, be it yeah. parents, staff, whatever, looking for clarification. I don't have the clarification, because yeah. we, we have been, we've been like mushrooms, you know? <laughs> we've, been, mm-hmm. we've been kept in the dark. For, if, if what you're saying, though, is if you're saying that from next Thursday you have too much uncertainty with regard to reopening special education, let, let's wheel forward a fortnight or so to the 1st of February when everyone's supposed to go back. Already the public health experts are warning, uh-uh, might not be doable, I know, I know might that. not be safe. And, and we, we, do, do you think so? We're ho- I, I don't know. That's that's the honest truth. I hope so. I hope we'll be back in school. And I, I suppose I really, really get it that children with additional needs above all, need to be prioritised and they do need to be in school. I mean, we really, really get that. But at the moment, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned that, you know, that this could lead to something that we, we, could, we could proceed in haste and repent at our leisure. And that's my worry here. Always, always trust the teacher to come up with the old saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be, you know, PJ, I don't know whether you have long, but I mean, you know, we, we had a situation here, you know, I suppose I'm listening constantly and I'm, I'm talking a lot to other school leaders and we're listening to this fact that the schools are safe. There is no problem in schools. But now I'll tell you, if, if you have a moment, we had a situation here last October here in the school and this is this could be repeated up and down the country but particularly in larger schools um, where close contacts you know if you have a member of staff who is a close contact or deemed to be a close contact outside of school they're immediately out if you have a child who is a sniffle and their child their parent is a, a teacher or an SNA in the school then that, ch- that teacher or SNA immediately has to be out pending a test this has been the way it was there was one day last October and we had 20 members of staff out of school on that day and I went home and I I just got a moment and I listened to the 6-1 News and Norma Foley was being interviewed on the 6-1 News and she was saying there is no problem in schools. Schools are safe places. There is no problem in schools. And I had to listen to that having had to handle a situation where I had 20 members of staff out of school that day. Yeah. Now, that it doesn't sit well with you. It doesn't. Like, and, and it's sickening to listen to that. And I mean, I suppose, look, I just feel, you know, there, there, there's another thing too then that figures, way figures have been presented Figures have been presented and the Minister keeps coming out and saying that there are 25% of schools where there have been cases and, and, and obviously 75% where there haven't been, you know, by, by, by inference. But the problem is there are schools, small, small rural schools, all great schools, but there are children, schools in rural areas with 10, 20, 30 pupils. And they have no cases, some, many of them. But yet you have those schools, each one of those schools is given exactly the same rating as a school with five, six, seven hundred pupils with multiple cases. So yeah. when you give it, when you present it, the percentage of schools with cases, it's very, very misleading. Whereas 
I would say that rather than focusing on the number of schools, you should focus on the number of pupils. Pupils are what's important at the end of the day. And the pupils, I would say, if you look at the percentage of pupils in schools where there have been cases, you're probably looking at something like 70 and 80 percent of pupils. Not 25% of schools. You know, it's totally misleading. And this is why, I mean, you wonder why schools are frustrated listening to those kind of figures. That's why, because they're misleading. And, you know, schools are safe, very, very safe. And we've we've had fantastic success in terms of of the way it has been handled and the way it has been managed. And we've been sanitizing every child coming in in the morning and the children are washing their hands and they're doing all the right things. And, um, and all staff are doing the same as well. And the parents have been amazing. Parents, you know, they've, they've, they've t- grasped, they've, you know, they've, they've taken on these new uh, measures and they've, they realize they can't begin coming in and out of the school like we would always have had. We had an open door policy. We loved to have the parents coming in. That's not possible now. And the parents have embraced that and they appreciate the way, you know, things have to be now. But, um, you know, I suppose I, I don't know what more I can say, PJ. But I, I no, just no. Really I, you, you, I think you've 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 said it. You've said it very very succinctly, and, yeah. and, I, th- and I thank you for it. And I've no doubt we will we will catch up again. Please God. Uh, in but, the but vaccine, vaccine is the, is the message. I, I just feel we, okay. staff need to be prioritised for vaccine. I mean, all we right. all want to be in school. We want to support the children. We're doing what we can at the moment. You know, in, in all, all we can do, but we do need the children you know, to be safe and we need their families to be safe and we need the staff to be safe. And at the moment, my worry is that that's not going to be the case if you rush something in next Thursday. It's kind of, it's kind of like a kind of a knee-jerk reaction. We can't have a knee-jerk reaction. We want to do the best we can for the children and their families. We always have done and we always will do, hopefully, uh, and we'll do our very, very best. And, uh, you know, we want the children to be back here as soon as possible. But, but really, we can't have a, a kind of a, a, you know, a knee-jerk reaction where where we will be repenting at our leisure. Okay, I will leave it there for today. Michael, thank you very much. That's the principal of Glasheen Boys National School, uh, Michael Daly. Be careful, Minister, is what he is saying. Anne, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You had an experience yesterday, was it at the Mercy? Yeah, um, at the at the Mercy Hospital. Um I thought people always say you turn into your mother. I, I find that I'm turning into my aunt. Um, my aunt lives in Dublin, and uh, it's the family joke that whenever she has a, a crisis, like a puncture or a burst pipe or looking for directions, she always, her her thing is, well, you know, I met a very nice man who helped me out. So mm. that's the, that's Auntie Brenda's story all her life, but. Um, I was bringing my mother-in-law to the Mercy to the um, emergency department yesterday and I found myself without any cash because both in COVID times we we just don't have coins, um, you know, anymore. So unfortunately, my mother-in-law had nothing in her purse either. Um, So I went over uh, to try and use the Park Magic app but my app was out of date. It was belonging to an old car that I'd had. Um, cause I hadn't obviously used it for a long time. Uh, so then I was in a panic and I was rummaging around the car. And in the meantime, I had already checked my mother-in-law in and I'd been given a wheelchair to transport her over to the emergency department comfortably. Um, so time time was ticking. So I said, oh, here goes. So a, a taxi driver pulled up and two gentlemen um, got out one was obviously a patient as well. So I said, here goes. I said, by any chance, would any of you have any coins? 
So the two gentlemen said no, and the taxi driver said, I do, yeah. And he put his hand into his pocket and he pulled out his coins and he says, what do you, you know, what do you want? I said, could yeah. you ever give me a euro for the machine? And he said, yeah, no problem. So put the euro in the machine and it said, more coins needed. I said, oh no, oh Jacob. Okay, so here I go. Uh, I said, I'm really sorry. I said, but it needs more coins. And he said, what? How much do you need? And I, he said, well, two, two euro. I said, that, that'd be super. Thanks. Thanks so much. I said, you're really saving my bacon. You know, I, um, because I, I have nothing, you know. And he said, nah, not at all. He said, no, no problem. He just uh, hopped into the car and drove off and gave me a big thumbs up. So I have nice. no idea what his name was, but I just thought, what, what colour was the car? Do you remember? It was it was a silver car. Yeah. So and it do, was. Do you just, happen to know what make it was? Do you know what? I didn't even notice, and I'm not actually that bad on, on makes of cars. Okay. <laughs> about what time was it? It was around lunchtime, around one o'clock, no. and I was parked in the private car park just adjacent right. well, to where the old. If, he, if he's was. listening and he's driving the same the same shift today, he may well remember. So you just wanted to say yeah. thanks. I just wanted to say thanks because what a nice man, an absolute gentleman. Okay. Um, right. So yeah, thanks very much, Mister Kind Taxi Driver. Indeed, lovely, lovely, lovely to talk to you. And cheers. Okay. Uh, and, cheers. and well done, Mister Taxi Driver, in a silver car around lunchtime yesterday down around the Mercy Hospital. Little act of kindness. The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your two one one Toyota. See LehanMotors.ie. This is Corks. Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. We'll finish off this week by talking to someone who retires after 40 years, doing one of the most important jobs of them all, bringing new babies into the world. Margaret O'Driscoll, good morning. Good morning. You told a lie. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. bring them into the world. I mind them once they arrive. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. You, you help them in. You help them in. Yeah. I help them to survive and go home. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. 13 years in the COMH, but many years before that in the Ernville, where, where my own twins were born in the 90s, and I'm inclined to think you might have been around in, in those days as well. Yes, um, I, I started a lot in of people, Ernville in yeah. April 1980, in the neonatal yeah. unit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What was the, the attraction to midwifery, Margaret? I, don't, I suppose in those days, PJ, everybody did midwifery. Because no matter where you wanted to work afterwards, you nearly needed it. Even if you were in a cottage hospital, you know, down the country, you'd need midwifery in case somebody on their way to the maternity hospital decided to deliver somewhere along and came into a cottage hospital. So everybody had to have it. Mm. So it was one of, I'd say nearly everybody did midwifery. It's a separate thing now, isn't it? There are nurses and midwives now as separate things. But everyone did it back then. Yeah, everyone did it back then. Now you can do it as a, um, a degree on its own. Do you know what I mean? Or you can do it, do your general and then do your midwifery. But in those days, like, ev- I'd say nearly everybody did it then, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be what I loved. Yeah, and even though initially you were dubious, were you? About well, yeah, I, see, in- I trained as a midwife, right, and I came back then to the Erinville and 
I didn't envisage working in the neonatal unit and then I was told that's where I'd be working. And I was petrified, I'd say, for the first two years because, you know, an adult, an adult can tell you what's wrong with them. The baby can't, as I thought. But I learned along the way, the babies are well able to tell us what they want and what they need. Make no mistake about that. And once I got into it, it took me about two years, then I absolutely loved it. I don't think I ever, there was never a day that I went into work that I didn't love going in. How, how do they tell you, Margaret? Well, if a fella if has a wet or dirty nappy, he'll scream. And as sure as he'll scream, he'll either be hungry or he'll have a dirty nappy. You'd see little babies, tiny little ones inside in the incubators, and you look at them and they'd have their hands over their eyes as much as to say, just don't touch me. You know? Um, we had a little baby one day, and they were, you know, they were fed with tubes, you know, tube feeds. And uh, the nurse, and she pulled out the tube, and the nurse went to put the tube back down in. And she just was putting it into her nose, and the next thing, the small one put up her two fingers to her. <laughs> like, you know, that was as much as say, just go off and leave me alone. <laughs> you know, things you know, like that, they are amazing. How they tell you, like, they tell you, like, they're on, on, on monitors and all that sort of thing. If they need another little bit of oxygen, well, they'll desaturate and that'll tell you, oh, God, they need a little bit more. Like, they're, they are just amazing. You, just, you can read their body language when, you, when you're with them for a while. You can really read their body language, like, you know. Hmm. You would have helped to deliver and indeed care for afterwards. Thousands well, I, I did my midwifery in Scotland in 1979 and, and then I delivered babies there, do you know what I mean, when yeah. I was training. But yes. when I came back to Ireland, I started in the neonatal unit and I never left it. Well, I did right. maybe for about three months. I was sent down to the postnatal ward, but um, then I was sent back up again. And I've ah. spent all my time there. So, so that's why you say you helped them you, you helped them after they came into the world. So it was the other end of it, really, was where you specialised. Yes, yes. And we, I have my, my, pe- my people, people are anybody from about 440 grams upwards. <laughs> Tiny. A father, I often used to tell the fathers, you know, they had a wedding ring to wash the wedding ring. And a wedding ring, a man's wedding ring, will go up as far as the baby's um, shoulder. Oh. That tells you now how small, how small the, little, the little arms are. Crikey. Crikey, yeah. Parents at that stage, Margaret, particularly when the child has to have that kind of special attention after they're born. Yeah. They're very, very frightened. They are traumatised. Traumatised. It is the most awful time for them because they don't know, you know, whether they're going to, whether this baby's going to live or die. And you could go home this evening and the baby is fine. And you could c- come in tomorrow morning and the baby has just decided to, to do something bold and is back maybe on a ventilator or anything like that. They don't know from one day to the next, you know. It's a really, really traumatic journey. You know, it really, really is for them. I mean, so all to you, you, when you have you, you, you have three patients, really, haven't you? You have, Margaret? yeah. You have you, baby, yeah. you have mammy, and you have daddy. Yes, you have. You have, absolutely. Yeah, and you have to mind them all. Yeah. Do you know, but Aoife people are so grateful, do you know? Yeah. Aoife, Aoife wants to talk to you. Hello, Aoife. Hello, PJ, how are you? How are you doing? You you had this this lovely lady helping you out at one point. I did, and um, actually with my two boys, um, on two separate occasions, um, two years between them. So Margaret would have been one of the first midwives I would have met when my first boy was brought down to neonatal. 
Um, she was amazing, absolutely amazing. She'll be a nurse that I'll be telling him about when he is old and grey. <laughs> Please, God. It's so important to have someone there who just has a calm, down-to-earth, gentle way about them. Completely. She, um, I think, like, you know, the baby doesn't know any different, um, even though the baby is the sick person out of the equation. But she just, when myself and my husband went down for the first baby, it, it's just so frightening and so scary that... Um, the 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 only person you want to meet is somebody like Margaret. Yeah, she's there at the moment listening to you. What would you like to say to her? I'd just like to thank her and all the other staff, but especially her for her singing, her <laughs> talking. She never stops talking to the baby she's minding. <laughs> and just she just reassured us in so many ways. You know, when we used to come home, the frightened you know, the frightened feeling used to come back, but the minute you'd walk up there or ring neonatal and if Margaret answered the phone, you'd definitely come off the phone smiling. Okay. And well, feeling that's, so that's, reassured. That's that's a great trait to have. Aoife, thank you for that. Uh Grania was also in touch with us. Margaret, uh, she said she had twins recently and that you were amazing. Robbie and Sophie used to be so soothed by your words and your songs. And and, and you even gave Grania an uplift in the very hard days. Tell me more about this singing. Well, I like to sing, PJ. I always liked singing, right? Mm. And when my own were small, even, to get them to sleep, I'd pick them up and I'd rock them. My usual song would be Liverpool because you can rock and sing, you know, the motion goes, the singing and the yeah. motion go together. And it's amazing how it calms a baby. Mm. It really you does. It? Do you know? So I do sing a lot, yeah. I know, and they're all ancient songs. I have all ancient songs. I've nothing new for them, like... <laughs> <laughs> there, would be, there would be no Justin Bieber in there, would there? Oh, no? listen to me, boy, no. <laughs> <laughs> Will you miss the work, Margaret? Huh? Will you miss the work? Oh, Lord, I will. Yeah, I will. I mean, I love it. I like, as I say, there was never a day that I went in that I said, oh, God, do I have to go in here? I love it. And I, you know, I love the babies and the parents and all that. And I keep in touch. My phone is full of um, pictures of babies and things, you know, that people have sent back to show me what they're like and all the rest of it. And mm. people are fantastic. They are great to bring back the little children, the little babies when they're bigger so they, so we can see them. And, you know, sometimes they'll bring someone back and we'll have a mother inside and she has a baby that was about the same, born about the same time as theirs was. And we would always ask them to come out and have a look so they can see what mm. will be the future. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What are the plans for retirement? Oh, well, <laughs> um, I, I, I'm never idle, OK? I like to sew and I like to knit and I like to do all those kind of things. And... Uh, you know, and I like to uh, keep in touch with ba- my babies and things. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be busy. I'll be busy. <laughs> but I won't. I, I'm meant to be finished this Saturday, but I'm staying for a little bit longer now because of the way things are at the moment, and we're kind of quite short-staffed and things, you know. And also, well, well, congratulations on your retirement when it comes, and Thank enjoy you. it. And I think a lot of people reaching out this morning with a lot of love for what you did for them over the years and a lot of gratitude. Margaret, congratulations and thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to look after them all. Can I say one other thing? I think my mother in the nursing home in Lismore is listening to this. So I would just like to say good morning, Mom. I'll talk to you later, okay? All right, all right. And uh, hello, Mom. Uh, Be proud of her, because I think a lot of people are. Um, 
pass on our best wishes to Margaret, a most wonderful, caring person who looked after our daughter Clodagh 11 years ago when she was in Neo for eight weeks. Met her on a few occasions, an absolute lady. Hope she enjoys her retirement. Thank you for that, Margaret, and congratulations. I'm not going to bother with the comments on teachers right now. They'll hold until Monday, lads. We'll, 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 we'll keep them because there's not a lot of love in the room. And I'd like to finish on something a bit more positive, seeing as it's Friday. Paddy O'Brien was back in touch after talking to us this morning. He said he's getting calls from all over Cork, from Macroom to Mitchellstown, from older people who were listening. One woman said she had tears in her eyes as she felt he was talking about her in isolation. Paddy wanted to thank us for giving such an important issue the airtime. And always a pleasure to talk to Paddy O'Brien. That's it for today and for the week. Edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Have a good weekend in the best way you can. Stay safe, keep your distance, stay at home. See you Monday just after nine. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.